We actually have two scripture, morning, uh, two scripture readings this morning from the Old Testament. The first from the historical book of Deuteronomy and the second from the prophecies of Isaiah. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, like me from among you, from your countrymen. To him you shall listen. This is in accordance with everything that you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Do not let me hear the voice of the Lord my God again, and do not let me see this great fire anymore, or I will die. And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them everything that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever does not listen to my words, which he speaks in my name, I myself will require it of him. And later from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 6 through 11. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it produce and sprout, and providing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so will my word, which goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it is given to each of us in love. Good morning. <clears throat> Try that again. Good morning. There we go. All right. Y'all sounded great. I didn't. So sorry about that. <clears throat> All right. So we're in this time of Advent, right? We're in this time of waiting. Uh, and we have observed that in the Old Testament period, there were kings and there were priests and there were prophets. And in the theological world, these are called offices. And we've been looking at how Jesus fulfills all these offices in one person. Two weeks ago, Todd walked us through how Jesus is our king, indeed the king. He comes in judgment, and he comes with healing. And then last week, he told us about Jesus as priest. And he, uh, he preached from Isaiah 53, which is great because we just heard from Isaiah 54. Uh, and he showed us how Jesus is the sympathetic high priest, the sacrificing, the self-sacrificing high priest, and ultimately the victorious high priest. And so this week, we'll look at Jesus the prophet. Probably we did this in the wrong order. We should have done prophet, priest, king, not king, priest, prophet, but you know, we got there. So here we are. So what is a prophet? Well, simply put it, prophets are God's mouthpieces, and they go about the task of occasionally foretelling and more often forthtelling. And so we often get caught up about this prophetic ministry that God gives the prophets of foretelling, because we all want to know the future. 
We want to know how everything is going to turn out. Um, ironically, we do know how it will turn out, right? God wins. And those who are followers of Jesus can look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. The problem is we got to get there. And God does not always promise us that the way will be easy, nor that you will always understand what is going on as you are getting there. And so we always kind of want to know what's going to happen. And we don't get to know that most of the time. But the main task of the prophet in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is forthtelling. And what they tell forth is the truth of and about God. And whether that truth is a warning or an encouragement or some kind of instruction on how the people of God should live, it was the task of the prophet to speak forth these words of truth, even if it made them unpopular with and dangerous to the leaders, the elite, or even all the people. They were to speak forth words of truth. Now, in this day and age, we hear a lot about truth, don't we? Truth, relative truth, news, fake news, all that stuff. People think they're so wise and clever to talk about this, but this is not new stuff. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus in John 18, what is truth? Still a question we ask today, isn't it? Today, some wonder if there is truth. We hear a person say, that's true for you, but not true for me. We hear people say and write, there is no absolute truth. To which, of course, I always want to reply, is it absolutely true that there is no absolute truth? But, you know, I try not to be too ugly about that. What do these people mean by these statements anyway? Well, there are some, and these are mainly philosophers, who wonder if we can actually even adequately communicate truth. Because words mean different things to different people, right? You've had that problem in the past. You've said something to a spouse or a friend, and you thought you were very clear. You knew exactly what you meant, and they didn't get it, right? That's an interesting question about whether we can communicate truth adequately, and I think we can, but let's leave that for another day. Because I think what most people mean when they say that is true for you but not true for me, or they say there's no absolute truth, they're really saying no one can tell me how to live. That's what they're really saying. They're saying there's no overarching truth on which all people should base their lives, that there's no one thing or group or person or God who can tell me how to live. And generally these people fall into two camps. One we might call secularists or naturalists. They don't think anything supernatural exists. There's nothing beyond the rational, the so-called scientific facts of this life. There's no ultimate reality. This is all there is. And therefore, you get to decide how you want to live because there's no one to guide you or to tell you. The other camp we might call pantheists or new ageists. They think that everything is supernatural, that God, whoever he or she or it is or they are, is in everything. Plants, trees, bugs, animals, most importantly, in us. God is a force in all of us, and we just have to get in touch with our own greatness, potential, and creativity. And therefore, you get to decide how you want to live in order to fulfill your greatness and potential. Did you notice what just happened? We have people who think everything is supernatural. We have people who think nothing is supernatural. Where do they end? You can't tell me how to live my life, all right? They both reject that anything is objectively true outside of themselves that can impact those decisions on how they live. And you probably knew all this. But flying in the face of all this is this biblical message that there is truth and that the Bible contains that truth. 
And what we see today is that Jesus is the prophet of that truth, indeed a prophet speaking the truth about himself. So as we consider Jesus' office of prophet, there were actually a host of Old Testament and New Testament passages that we could have chosen. But in keeping with this Advent season, or the season of waiting, we've, we've chosen the Old Testament passages, some of them, that point to Jesus because the Jews were waiting for their Messiah. And as we proceed today, I'll then loop in some New Testament passages that allow us to understand those Old Testament passages. The first reading was from Deuteronomy. Moses is talking to the children of Israel as they're moving through the Exodus. He is talking about how life will be in the promised land, how they should live, and how they should deal with the people who remain. But he is aware that they will be worried about how they will hear from God. I don't know if you noticed in that passage, but they don't really want God speaking straight to them. John Frame writes, people say they want to hear from God. The Old Testament says, I'm not so sure you want to. It's a terrifying thing to hear from God. Up to this point, of course, Moses and Aaron have been that voice of God, that prophetic voice um, uh, of God to the people of God. And so to assuage this worry for the future... Moses tells them in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, he says to Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will listen to my words, which we will speak in my name, which he will speak in my name, I myself will require of him. And, of course, there were many prophets who were raised up over the history of Israel. But the real prophet that Moses was talking about here is Jesus. How do we know that? Because it tells us in the New Testament. In Acts 3, Peter and John are going to the temple, and in the name of Jesus, as they're going along their way, their way they heal a lame beggar. People are amazed, of course. But Peter tells them, uh, tells the people who saw this that they should not regard Peter and John as anything special, as having any kind of power or piety to make this man walk. But it was power, it was the power of Jesus, whom the Jews and Roman rulers have killed. And then he states that they are witnessing the time that many of the Old Testament prophets foretold from Acts 3. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then it may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Peter tells us, Jesus is the great prophet that Moses was talking about so many years before. Turning to the Isaiah passage, Isaiah is speaking to the exiles in Babylon. Isaiah 55 comes after the fourth of four servant songs that are found in Isaiah 40 through 55. And these servant songs are wonderful. You're familiar with most of them. As last week, as I said, Todd told us about <clears throat> Isaiah 53, about the fulfillment of God's plan for the servant which includes his death and resurrection. And as a result of that death and resurrection, there's this wonderful view of what's going to happen to Israel as they return from captivity, but not only that, also to the new heavens 
and the new earth when Jesus returns. Isaiah 55 verse 12, For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. What a picture of the future of God's people in the presence of God. What a wonderful thing it would would be to be in that situation. What brings about that picture? Well, it's the gospel. I never really realized that Isaiah had this great statement of the gospel. Plainly stated here, listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be near. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon I don't think there's really a more concise statement of the gospel in all of Scripture. Those who are wicked and unrighteous, that's us. That's all of us, not the worst of us. We, are, we read those things and think, well, I'm not that unrighteous. I'm not that wicked. You know, Yes, you are. Yes, I am. Okay. We need only return to the Lord, and he will pardon due to his great compassion. And second, this future is brought about because of the way, the truth, and the word of God. And modern and postmodern men and women believe that their thoughts are the end of the matter, don't they? That what they think is definitive for how things are and how they should live. But God says, no, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. These are truly offensive words to people who reject the idea of truth and that it comes from God. Furthermore, Isaiah states, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and without making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. God's ways and thoughts are above ours. They are not ours. And God's word will accomplish what it is meant to accomplish through the gospel. So, what's the word? Of course, it's Jesus. A number of verses from John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, of God. So the gospel of God, uh, the gospel, boy, the gospel of John tells us that the word which goes forth from the mouth of God in Isaiah is actually Jesus. So summarizing our passage today, we have Moses talking about this great prophet that will follow him. Acts tells us that's Jesus. Isaiah talks about the word that will accomplish God's will. And the gospel of John tells us that this word is Jesus. And as we put those together, then we understand that the great prophet Jesus was indeed foretelling the truth of God, and that truth was about himself, the Word. Summing it up in John 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I only have one application today, and it's astoundingly brief. That doesn't mean I'm about finished talking, by the way. Just don't, don't get your hopes up. All right. I have only one application today, and it's astoundingly brief. And that is that we have a God who has spoken through his prophets and through his final prophet, Jesus. And what he speaks is the truth about Jesus and about us and about the universe. And that the truth is good news. It is gospel, and it can and should determine how we live. Whoever said that. This is not a universe that's empty of meaning, as seculars say. This is not a universe in which we all get to think that we're somehow gods, as the pantheists think. But this is a universe into which God has spoken, and he has spoken good news of pardon and reconciliation for those who follow him. And it is a universe into which God has come and will come again. And I truly could stop now. I really could. That could be it. But it begs this really important question. How do we know that this is the truth, and how do we know that we've heard the truth? Okay, so there's more to the application. All right. We know that this is truth because of Jesus' prophetic ministry. His work as prophet was not simply speaking words that his followers needed to hear. One could call that the external word. But his prophetic ministry was getting them to see and understand one could call that the internal word. We see this toward the end of Luke's gospel. We have the account of the followers of Jesus on the way to the road to, on the, on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has been crucified, and his empty tomb has been found by women and his disciples. Two of his followers are headed out to Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Jesus appears to them, but they don't recognize him. And Jesus asks them what they're talking about. And it says they stop. I, I love that. I mean, they're, they're so amazed that this person asks us what's going on, that how do you not know what's been going on, right? They just stop. And they sadly tell him about Jesus, that he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, and how they hoped that Jesus was going to redeem Israel. And from Luke 24, And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And of course, later, as they broke bread together, Jesus revealed himself to them and vanished from their sight. And then my favorite verse in the entire Bible. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? The two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus knew all the external word, right? They had been followers who were with the disciples. They knew he was a prophet. They knew he had done great things by the power of God, but they did not see and they did not understand. They did not have the internal word, and when they got it, their hearts burned. Later in the same chapter, Jesus appears to all the disciples and other followers who were gathered and said, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
So even for those who were with Jesus throughout his ministry, who, who saw all that he said and did, they needed Jesus the prophet to open their eyes and their minds, to give them an internal word, not just the external word, or and give them an internal word so they could understand the external word, so that they could believe with their whole being that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus does the same for us today. And this is an aspect of Jesus' prophetic ministry that we don't talk about very much. The prophetic work of Jesus did not end at his ascension when he returned to be with God the Father. Jesus' prophetic ministry comes, with a, comes to us today. It is both past and present. When, when Jesus was about to return to the Father, he told his followers in Acts 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So Jesus' external, if you would, prophetic word is found in the words of the Bible. His internal prophetic word, which enables us to understand and believe with our whole being, comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now you might be thinking, oh, wait a minute, Jim. You're saying that this speaking of the internal word is part of Jesus' prophetic ministry, and now you're bringing up the Holy Spirit. And you're right. I am. We often speak of the activities of the Father and of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit, and it's very appropriate to do so. But it's also appropriate to remind ourselves that we cannot really separate the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Father. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. And so as John Frame says, everything that any person of the Trinity does, he does along with the other two. So it really is appropriate for us to consider the work of the Holy Spirit as the work of Jesus' prophetic ministry. And we see evidence of the prophetic internal word, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, if you will, that is active today. And we even see the involvement of all members of the Trinity in a passage like Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Similarly, in 1 Corinthians 2, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by none. Many of you have heard me ask and answer before. The truth of God is plainly stated for all to read and hear. Why is it that some people hear it and believe it? Unsightly people hear it and don't believe it. And it is not because we, as believers, are so smart, are so wise, or so good, or so deserving. It is because the Holy Spirit has given us ears to hear and eyes to see. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 
The external truth, the external prophetic word of Jesus isn't found in the words of the Bible. The internal prophetic word, the action of the Holy Spirit, comes and helps us believe and apply it to our lives. Now, as I head toward closing, let me ask one final question. How can we know that the eyes of our hearts have been enlightened? How do you know that you've heard and you're still hearing this internal word and the Holy Spirit's active in your life and you're not just trying to live by your own power in the, with the external word? Tim Keller suggested three tests. One is newness, one is engagement, and one is tempo. Newness. As the Holy Spirit's active in your heart, giving you the internal word as you read and consider the external word, you often realize that there are things you have read for a long time. Maybe like me, my whole life. Almost my whole life, which is long. And suddenly there's something brand new. You, you've, you've read this over and over again. You've read it dozens of times. But something you missed breaks through. Something new jumps off the page. Something grabs you and changes your life. That's the prophetic internal word. That's the work, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Second engagement. When we hear the external word, but the in, internal word, the actions of the Holy Spirit is not present, then we're mainly engaging our minds. But when the internal word is present and our eyes are enlightened, it engages the whole person, mind, emotions, and will. And the result will be joy, a sweetness, a satisfaction, and a peace that passes all understanding. And the third one is tempo. And this is really important because although there are going to be times in which we will see much that is new as we read the Word, and there are going to be times in which our whole beings are engaged, then there are going to be times for us, or at least there are for me, and I think there are for you, that when reading and studying the Word, it's just pretty dry. Nothing's jumping off the page. It doesn't seem like there's much joy or sweetness in it. And that's because the enlightening nature of the Holy Spirit, of the internal Word, is a gradual thing. There's always an increase, but maybe not day over day. It's not a straight line going up. It's kind of bumpy on the way, but it's always upward, right? Not always an increase day over day, maybe not even week over week, but of the long haul, there's this gradual increase of our understanding. We see through a mirror darkly, but someday we will see face to face. But for now, this gradual increase in our understanding of the external word will result in increasing newness, increasing joy, and increasing peace. So Jesus was and is a prophet. We don't think about that. We are more likely to think of Jesus as a prophet in the past, but he is a prophet today. He's speaking good news. In the past, during his time on earth, on earth he told forth the truth about God, about himself, and about the good news. And in the present, through his Holy Spirit, he enlightens us to understand, to believe, and to follow him. This time of Advent is a time of waiting. We're waiting to celebrate his birth and his coming. We're also waiting between the now, because Jesus has come, and the not yet, because Jesus will come again. The universe is not empty of meaning. We are not all gods. God has spoken through his prophets, and he has spoken good news of pardon, reconciliation, and peace for those who follow him.
Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.